Last week, I started a new sermon series called Margin, Uncluttering Our Lives. And I told you that healthy lives are always the product of healthy margins. With no margin in your life, your stress level increases. With no margin in your life, your relational intimacy decreases. And so the truth of the human condition is this. All of us need margin. Few of us have it. With no margin in your life, your emotional capacity to deal with the everyday stressors and struggles of life become razor thin. If you are constantly irritable, if you are constantly tired or battling stress, if you are constantly losing it with those whom you love, if you're constantly distracted and unable to connect meaningfully with those around you, you need to look at your margin or your lack of margin in your life. And so last week I told you this, many of you will be drawn to margin. Many of you will resonate with slowing down, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. Many of us in our hearts of heart will say this, that's the person I want to be. I don't want to live a constantly hurried and rushed and distracted life at the expense of my walk with the Lord, at the expense of my relationships, at the expense of my very soul. You're drawn to it. You resonate with it. But I also told you this, most of you are not going to change. You're not going to do it. Why? Because change not only requires recognizing the problem cognitively, it not only requires you feeling the problem emotionally and sizing up the problem spiritually. All those are good and necessary. But if your heart and your head and your spirit don't collude and collaborate together to form new habits and new rhythms, nothing is going to change. And so today I want to deal with a huge aspect of dealing and having margin in your life, and that is the practice of Sabbath keeping. And I might even go so far as to go out on a limb and say this, in our modern age, given the pace and the velocity and the haste and the hurry of our age today, Sabbath keeping might be the most important spiritual practice in the modern age. Sabbath is a practice much aligned. Sabbath is a practice mis, mis, much misunderstood. I found that living in Africa and Europe and Latin America and here in America, hardly anyone really understands what Sabbath is and what it entails. Lots of people think, oh, we've graduated from that. We, don't, we can neglect that without repercussions to our lives and to our souls. And so three questions this morning is this. Is it, what is it biblically? Why do we need it culturally? How do you practice it experientially? What, why, and how? I was a journalism major before I went in the other direction. What is it biblically, the Sabbath? Why do we need it culturally? And how do you practice it experientially. First, what is it biblically? Lots of youths will say, I know what it means. 
Let me boldly say, maybe not. Be careful. Maybe you know about a half of what it really entails. And so if I asked you to explore and tell me about the Sabbath, most of you would likely come back to Genesis chapter 2, and that's the foundation, that's where we're going to start. Let me put this text in front of us. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Moses writes, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. The very first thing I notice about the Sabbath is this. It's a restful day, and it's a holy day. And the question for you is this. Are these two concepts related in any way in your life? That is, do you think your holiness and your restfulness are in any way connected in your life? Holiness does not easily grow in the test tube of exhaustion and workaholism and hurriedness. Your holiness and your walk with the Lord is actually nurtured and shaped by environments and moments where Sabbath-keeping margin is practiced. The fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20 is also rooted in the creation story. Exodus 20 says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And so you say, simple enough, pastor, I get it. Sabbath means rest, and it's connected to God's first and good creation in Genesis. Yet in the Bible, there is what we call a progressive revelation, a progressive slow revealing of really what the Sabbath is and what it entails. It's sort of like the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is slowly and progressively revealed on the pages of Scripture. What do you think would have happened to Adam and Eve if, if God would have sort of dropped this bomb right there in the garden, right, about the Trinity? You know, Adam, after you get through naming, you know, like between the elephant and the tiger, I got some news for you, right? I'm one, but I'm three. Three and one, one and three, three persons in one being, Adam. This is what I'm trying to tell you about the Trinity. What would have happened to poor Adam? He couldn't have, he couldn't have dealt with it, right? He has enough, you know, Eve is recovering from rib surgery. He's having to name the animals. He got a lot on his plate. And so God waits and slowly reveals the doctrine of the Trinity throughout the pages of the scriptures. The same can be said for Sabbath keeping. Because the second time that Moses gives us the second ten commandments that appear in the scriptures is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let me read this for you. Again, Moses says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do your work. But the seventh day 
the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses connects the Sabbath not only to creation, like Exodus 20, but also to the liberation and redemption of God's people. And so the plea in Deuteronomy 5 is not uh, observe the Sabbath and rest. It's not only observe the Sabbath and rest because you should remember Genesis 2. You should remember God's good creation. No, the plea is also this. Observe the Sabbath because God redeemed you. Observe the Sabbath because God liberated you from oppressive slavery in the great event of the Exodus. And so now you're beginning to think, oh, this complicates matters just a little bit. I thought Sabbath was only about rest. I thought Sabbath was only about not working because it was singularly rooted in the creation story. What I'm telling you this morning is this. The Sabbath in the Old Testament has a double basis, not a singular basis. In creation, in Genesis 2, and in the liberation and redemption of God's people in the great event of the Exodus, which both, I might add, point forward to the new creation, what God is doing in Jesus. And so as we turn the pages into the Gospels, what happens? It's as if Jesus goes out of his way to annoy the Pharisees. Am I right? Because what always happens, the majority of all the places in the New Testament, in the Gospel, where the Sabbath is mentioned, Jesus is doing something. Jesus is healing. And so the question is, is Jesus purposely just annoying the Pharisees putting a rock under their shoe? Is Jesus sort of like what happens at the Carter household between two particular brothers? Parents think, oh, this is great. We, we're just having a time of prayer on the couch. What could go wrong? And then stinky feet begin to be put on one another. Body parts that are stinky, end up all over each other, and they're annoying each other, right? This is what brothers do in the Carter household just a little bit every once in a while. And so the question is, is Jesus doing it, just doing that? Is just Jesus being annoying to the Pharisees? Or, or could Jesus recognize that the most perfect day to do liberating work the most perfect day to do redemptive work actually occurs on the Sabbath day because Jesus recognizes and knows the inner logic and essence of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. So it's not without coincidence or significance that Christians begin celebrating the Sabbath in the early church on what day? Not on the Sabbath, not on the Saturday, but precisely on what day? On the Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ represents the quintessential 
liberation and redemption for God's people and thus the perfect day to celebrate the Sabbath. The perfect day to keep the Sabbath. So Paul could write this in Colossians chapter 2 looking forward in the New Testament. He says, therefore do not let anyone judge you by whether you eat or drink with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or what? Or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Can you imagine being in that first century? Explosive news from the Apostle Paul. Paul calls this great institution of the Sabbath a shadow. And the reality is found in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, which gives new meaning to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Remember what he says there, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. He doesn't say come to me, all you who are per have perfect lives, that have it all figured out. No, he says the ones that I want coming to me are the burdened ones, the weary ones, Come to me. And he says, ah, not a particular day. Not the Sabbath day. Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Did you know that soul rest makes all the other kind of rests possible? Body, soul, mind, and spirit, it begins with soul rest. Now notice another interesting word in that passage, easy. Easy is an interesting word because you look at the Bible, you recognize that God gives his children very few and far between easy tasks, right? Abraham, go to this foreign country. Moses, lead this stubborn and stiff-necked people. Jonah, go to this rebellious people in Nineveh. These are not easy tasks. These are not easy circumstances. Easy does not refer to an assignment word. Easy is not a circumstantial word. Your life might be hard because of circumstances in life that you have brought upon yourself or life has just simply given you. You might have an, a difficult assignment in life. You see, easy is not an assignment word. It's not a circumstantial word. Easy is a soul word. Jesus' yoke for your soul is easy. Jesus wants your soul to rest. John Ortberg says like this, the soul was not made for an easy life. The soul was made for an easy yoke. So Jesus is pleading with you. Let me liberate you from your burdens. Let me redeem you from your weariness, from your exhaustion. You need to rest in your soul. And so you think, well, that's all great. What does all that mean for me? It means this, that the Sabbath in the Old Testament has a double basis, creation and redemption. The Genesis account and the event of the Exodus which looks forward to Jesus, then this is what this means. Celebrating the Sabbath by only not partaking by doing anything. 
Celebrating the Sabbath by only not working. Celebrating the Sabbath by only partaking in leisure activities. Partaking the Sabbath by only watching a football game is not the answer and probably not even half the answer. In every one of his healings in the Sabbath, Jesus is trying to tell the Jewish people a very important truth about the Sabbath. Don't just rest your body. Don't just cease from work. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Don't you know that the Sabbath is about liberating you? It's about remembering and and celebrating God who works redemption in our world. If you can't stop working, if you never can stop You're fine, you're fine. The point is this. If you can never stop working, what does that make you? What? That was a rhetorical question. But it's uh, somewhat uh, like half right. If you never can stop working, you said a workaholic. I would say you're a slave. If you never can stop working, we have a word for you. You are a slave to your work. And so the question is, where does true life-giving rest to be found? Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. Are you looking for a life-giving and nourishing and restorative rest for your soul? Vacations are fun. Taking a nap is often great medical advice. But true life-giving rest is found in Jesus. And so when people confess, you know, that being with God's people in worship on Sunday takes me away from rest, that's busy. We are basically admitting we don't have a clue. We don't really understand the nature of and character of true soul rest, which is found in Jesus. The Sabbath rest that you most needs comes from celebrating and remembering and delighting in God. Ruth Haley Barton says it like this, Sabbath is a day set apart and devoted completely to rest, worship, and delighting in God. Second question, why do we need it culturally? Why do we need it culturally? My wife and I are reading a book together, The Habits of the Household, Practicing the Story of God in Everyday Family Rhythms. And there is a line in that book that got under my skin, and here it is. The author says, the longer we live with unhealthy patterns, the more normal they can seem. Does that stop you in your tracks? The more, the longer we live with unhealthy patterns, the more normal they can seem. He then goes on to say unceasing screen time, unending busyness, unrivaled consumerism, unrelenting loneliness, unmitigated addictions, unparalleled distractions. This is our cultural moment, my friends, and has become normalized. 
as just part of our lives. We've given up. This is how it's always going to be. Sometimes what is most, I could even say, damning to us is not what we do, but is what we live with, what we approve of in our lives, in our households. And let me say this. Most of our households are perfectly designed to get the results we are getting. The author goes on to say, you can't think yourself out of a pattern you didn't think yourself into. You practice yourself into it, so you have to practice your way out. You see, the Christian faith is not simply about thinking the right thoughts biblically. You can have a lot of great thoughts about what your life should be about, about what, how great Sabbath could be. But the Christian faith is also about participating in the right practices, the practices that are soul-shaping and life-giving. Healthy lives are the product of, product of healthy margins. So the question for you is this, what are the practices you are doing in your life to give yourself margin in life? The sad news is this, you can take vacation after vacation after vacation, and there can still be a workaholism. There can still be a weariness and an exhaustion. You can still neglect the true priorities in your life, marriage, relationships, God, because the habits and practices that give you margin have never, ever been practiced practiced for the 14 other nine weeks of the year. And so the author goes on to say this, when our heads go one way, but our habits go the other way, Guess which way the heart follows. The heart always follows after the habit. And so I would suggest that this is the perfect cultural moment for an ancient and much forgotten biblical practice and rhythm and habit that gives you margin that you so desperately need. Third question is this, how should you do it experientially? Question is this, have you ever tried a new habit? How did that go for you? Don't, isn't the truth that you need to hang in there with it? It's gonna be messy at first. It's gonna be awkward at first. You're gonna to wanna to abandon it at first. But first you have to be invited. First, you have to be convinced that there's something here in Sabbath keeping that is worth slowing down for, for your family, for your marriage, for your relationship with the Lord. A Sabbath, a day set apart and devoted completely to rest, worship, and delighting in God. Let me say this. I am not standing on a soapbox. The Carters are actually right there with you. We've actually been experimenting with Sabbath keeping for the last two and a half months or so. And so this is a confession that, well, number one, we've needed it. Number two, we're going to try it. Number three, we're going to find out what it means for our family for a day to delight in God. And can I get real? Last night, we, we tried, we've tried Friday night through Saturday night, you know, because I sort of work on Sunday. Last, a few times we tried Saturday night at six through Sunday to six. Let me just say that when we say, guys, boys, screen time is over. How do you think that's met? <laughs> I can assure you both of the, my older boys are like, 
we've been waiting for this all of our lives. We've been wanting to do Sabbath. Finally, Dad, you give me what I really want. Not so much. But there was a paragraph a few months ago that I read from Sacred Rhythms, Ruth Haley Barton, and she lit a fire under me because the description she gave of the Sabbath was so beautiful. Let me read it for you here. She says, the truth is Sabbath keeping is a discipline that will mess with you because once you move beyond just thinking about it, oh, that's good, and actually begin to practice it, the goodness of it will capture you body, soul, and spirit. You will long to wake up to a day that stretches out in front of you with nothing in it but rest and delight. You will long for a simple way to turn your heart towards God and worship without much effort. You will long for a space and time when the pace is slow and family and friends linger with one Another. Doesn't that sound beautiful? A community practicing Sabbath together. No one has anywhere to go. People can linger relationally, savoring one another's presence because no one has anywhere else to go. A day set apart, devoted completely to rest, worship, and delighting in God. <coughs> Ruthelli Barton then says this, but the rest of the week must be lived in such a way as to make Sabbath possible. She says, courageous decisions must be made about youth sports and work and shopping and household chores and mowing the yard, not to be legalistic, but to preserve a true Sabbath rest, a day, a Sabbath day of delighting in God. And so a few weeks ago, we did Sabbath. I'm not going to share with you the the Sabbath that didn't go well, but there was a Sabbath that went really well. I got the yard done ahead of time. We got the cleaning done in the house. And then it was as if the whole day stretched out before us in a beautiful, beautiful way, playing games together, walking on the beach, praying together, worshiping with our church family right here. You see, here's another key. The Sabbath was never meant to be a private, self-indulgent discipline. The Sabbath was always meant to be celebrated in community. Think about that first Sabbath, that resurrection day. There was loads of activity. Women running to the tomb. The Lord appearing to the disciples. Sharing bread together in community. Talking about the events of the Passion Week together. That very first Sabbath. Lots of activity. And my plea is this. I would love for you to partake and practice the Sabbath with me. Why? It's mostly selfish. Because then our practice becomes easier. If you don't have anywhere to go. If I don't have anywhere to go, suddenly we're practicing the Sabbath together. And so a true Sabbath is not about doing nothing. It's about a beautiful Jesus community practicing Sabbath keeping together. This makes space for relationships. That we wake up 
There's a day where nothing is on the calendar today and therefore we have all the time in the world to linger for lunch today, to be intentional about relationships within the family of God, to come to church with the mentality, I'm gonna look for someone new to Trinity Wellsprings Church and take them out for lunch because I have nothing else on the calendar, only worship and rest and delighting in God. The Sabbath is the perfect day for all of that. And so friends, I wanna invite you into the Sabbath. It's part of having and maintaining margin in our lives. Healthy lives are always a product of healthy margins. You see, Sabbath keeping is not about church, you know, fitting church around my myriad of activities, but rather a Sunday for rest, for worship, for delighting in God. The great philosopher, Jewish rabbi Abraham Heschel once said, you look back over the history of the Jewish people, he said, it's like a whole group of people just were in love with the Sabbath day, completely taken with it, with the slowness, with the rest, with what it does for our souls. And so today, it's not a great sermon, but it's a great practice. You need soul rest found only in Jesus, the kind of soul rest that makes all the other rests possible and fruitful. So I plead with you, don't only think your way out of wherever you're at. Don't think you can strategize, oh, just let me take, tinker around the margins of my life. You practice your way into wherever you're at, burdensome, burdens, wearisome. You need to practice your way out. Let's pray.